surrounding the raising of Lazarus. Uh, we began, you'll remember in John, uh, these first seven verses, we began with this thought, navigating our times, our trials, our touches, and tombs. When, when we have these difficult times, such as they did surrounding the death of Lazarus, how do we navigate those difficult times and those hard trials and those touches and, and, and even tombs? Well, there's three truths that you got to believe. First of all, Jesus loves you more than you know. If you're going to navigate these difficult times, you better know that Jesus loves you. Then the second one's a little more difficult, easy preaching, hard living. You ready for this one? What happens to you isn't always about you. <laughs> now, certainly Lazarus and Mary and Martha benefited from what happened, but this wasn't about them. It was about the disciples, and it was about those Jews that were gathered around the situation. Jesus had something to teach them. And sometimes what you're going through isn't as much about you as it is about somebody else that needs to see what God's doing in your life. The third one is this, the darker the problem, the brighter the solution. God let that thing get as bad as it could possibly be before he stepped in. I think about that with Brother Earl. It looked bad. It looked bleak. And then God stepped in. And then God stepped in. Truth be told, he was always there from the beginning. He didn't step in. He was there already. But he manifested himself. Even now, some wonderful things are happening. Some people call them God winks. Some people call them other things. But, uh, uh, but you know, like, like one lady that I think it was uh, Miss Diane encountered that asked that he came in on, in on a helicopter. And she said, oh, I prayed for him. You prayed for him, yeah. I, I can hear all the helicopter. I pray for every person that comes in on that helicopter. That's, that's God stepping in on that, you know. And then he's having familiar faces help him in his therapy. Isn't that a wonderful thing? People that can bring, they can bring encouragement to him and help. So we thank the Lord for what he's doing. Then last week, we, we focused in on one of the participants in this, and that's Martha. We talked about the faith of Martha. Now we need to be careful that as we do this, we're not contrasting Martha against Mary or them against Lazarus. This is not a contrasting thing, it's a complementary thing. We're going to see that there's some things we see in Martha that we don't see prevalent in Mary and vice versa, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist in their lives. We're putting them together, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, to get a good picture of, of the fullness of a mature Christian life. And what we see really exemplified in Martha was her faith. Her faith. We saw that she had a, a faith that was at times irritated. Did your faith ever get irritated? Well, no, not me. I never questioned God ever. You know the Greek word, balderdash. It's all, all of us have had times where we've not understood what God was doing, and we've, we, we've, we've kind of been irritated about it. But what did she do that was right? She went to Jesus when she was. She didn't run away from him. She ran to him. Lord, I'm irritated. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died, and I'm going to talk to you about it. And Jesus listened. It was irritated, and it was inaccurate. The truth is... Jesus being there or not being there didn't matter. Lazarus was going to die. Lazarus was going to die because that was God's will. And God had a plan there. Okay, so sometimes our faith is a little inaccurate. Well, if I'm right with God, this won't happen in my life. Maybe, maybe not. Okay, but thankfully, her faith was informed. The word of God kicked in on that thing, and she, she put that to work. And what ended up happening is she's got an incredible faith. So we see faith. We see faith in the life of Martha. And now we find ourselves looking at Mary. John chapter 11, verse 1. 
Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Now I want you to skip ahead, verse 18. Now Bethany was nine to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Father, would you help me as I preach this? May I rightly divide your word of truth. May Christ be lifted up and magnified, and may your people be helped. We give this time to you and ask you to bless it in the way that only you can. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. We now turn our attention to Martha's sister, Mary. And remember, we're not contrasting them. Martha was a life that was characterized by faith. Mary, we're going to see, has another dominant characteristic. One is not, superior, not spiritually superior to the other. It both is needed. Each sibling represents an aspect of a complete victorious Christian life. Martha, of course, represented faith, an indispensable element of the Christian walk. What did Paul tell the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 7? We walk by what? Faith, not by sight. The writer of Hebrews, also Paul, the writer of Hebrews said, without faith, it is impossible, not improbable, not difficult, impossible to please God. So can our Christian life do without faith? No, it cannot. But Mary represents an element also integral to Christian growth. Mary represents worship. Have you noticed that the the songs today have all lent themselves to a worshipful tone? Worship. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy. Worship. And we see in Mary worship. And so last week we looked at the faith of Martha. This week we look at the worship of Mary. The worship of Mary. Would you find your way to verse 28? Verse 28, we see first of all that her worship was attentive. Her worship was attentive. Verse 28. And when she had so said, and went, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as Mary heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now, Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Martha has already met with Jesus. She has exemplified her faith Jesus says, your brother, will, your brother will live again. She goes, I know my brother will live again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then, hey, Martha, believest thou this? And then Martha utters that same, uh, that same commitment that Peter did. I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. That faith. And now Martha delivers the message to Mary that Jesus wants to speak with her. And Mary's response was immediate. Jesus wants you, Mary, in his presence. And what does it say? She moved. She was attentive to the call of God. She moved quickly. She hastened. Remember this, friends. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When God calls upon us, he expects us to respond immediately. He expects us to be attentive. A good teacher expects their students to be attentive. A good preacher hopes that his people will be attentive. Good parents expect their children to be attentive. And our good God expects that his children be attentive. And when he speaks, we're to listen and move quickly. She wasted no time in taking advantage of an opportunity to meet with the master. Now, as that, re- respond, as that reflects on us, in the matter of our worship, when Jesus calls us to come alongside of him and meet him in worship, are we attentive and immediate in our obedience, or do we procrastinate and ignore the opportunity altogether? Well, I'm at church, aren't I? You don't have to be at church to worship. Now, you need to be at church because the Bible commands it. But I'm going to tell you something. There will be times you're sitting in that lazy boy at home, and the Holy Ghost of God would say, I'd like to meet with you. The Lord Jesus wants to talk with you. He wants you to come into his presence, grab your Bible, get on your knees. How quick are we to respond and worship when he calls upon us to do so because our worship is to be attentive. Well, Lord, I'm driving right now. Lord, I'm busy right now. Lord, I got this going. Lord, it's the bottom of the ninth. Lord, it's overtime and LSU is threatening to score. (laughs) When the master calls, the only right response is to be attentive and immediately go to his presence. How are we doing? How are we doing in our worship? How are we doing in our worship? Her worship was attentive. Number two, her worship was abasing. What does abasing mean? It means it puts you low. It puts you low. Would you notice something in verse 32? Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Did you know that every time we see Mary in Jesus' presence, every gospel account that we see Jesus at Mary in Mary's presence, we see Mary in Jesus' presence, every time she's at his feet? Every time. Now, that's not in contrast to Martha. Martha's doing good things. Martha's exhibiting a faith that works, that gets to work for God. But Mary is always at his feet. 
John chapter 11, verse 32, now when Mary was come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. We just read that. Luke 10, verse 38, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she called her sister Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Then a little bit later in John chapter 12, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed, what? The feet of Jesus. Real worship, friends, real worship and pride are mutually exclusive. They cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. Now, I'm all for, I'm all for raising your hands. I do it frequently. But I'm going to tell you something, more often than not, when I get into the presence of God, when I sense that he is there, it doesn't make me want to get up. It makes me want to get low. Now, you might think yourself a good Christian. I don't know that any of us are to the level of an Isaiah. When Isaiah came into his presence in Isaiah chapter 6, what was his response? Woe is me for I am undone. Does that sound like something you're going up, or does that sound like something you're going down? (laughs) What about John? John, one of his first disciples. John, who I believe was his cousin, his first cousin. John knew Jesus even before he presented himself as Messiah. John grew up around him. John knew him. John was the beloved. John's head was laid on his chest at the Lord's Supper. But when John saw the resurrected Christ in Revelation, what did he do? He said, I fell down at his feet as dead. So what makes us think that our response should be any different? One of the trends in the modern church that that troubles me, I'm all for enjoying your faith, and I'm all for enjoying the services, but I'm going to tell you, people talk about worship, and they start getting higher. Hey, I tell you, we had worship, man. I just got on top of the table. I got on top of the pew, man. I just made a fool out of myself worshiping. No, let me tell you something. God gets a hold of you, and what should happen is I get lower, and I get lower, and I get lower when I start seeing what I am compared to the glory and wonder and majesty of Jesus Christ. Real worship is abasing. That doesn't mean we walk around all the time. Eeyore Christianity. No. But when you see Jesus for who he is, it humbles you. It starts emptying you of self. You see, real worship is abasing. Number three, real worship is authentic. Her worship was authentic. Look at verse 32. What do I mean by authentic? I mean genuine. I mean real. I mean without guile. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Who else did we hear say that? Martha. Remember that irritated faith? Real worship doesn't mean that you never ask God why. She's a base. She's at his feet. But what does she say? She says what's really on her heart. Lord, if you'd have been here. My brother wouldn't have died. 
You ever met somebody that they come into church and all of a sudden what they are the rest of the week evaporates? I don't know anybody speaks in King James English anymore, do you? I don't. But there's some Christians, they'll come into church. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, how art thee today? Thy God has been good to thee, and he's been good to me, and thou shalt know. Y'all stop it. You know? I mean, we, we didn't fought the whole car ride here, fussing and carrying on, and used every Christian cuss word we got. Some of you, those of you who don't know what a Christian cuss word is, that means you use the real ones. Baptist. But I tell you, I mean, it's like a cat and dog turned loose in the car, but as soon as we get into the parking lot, God bless you, sister. So good to see you today. Been praying for you. Have you? Hmm? I feel compelled to salute you with a holy kiss. That's my wife, by the way. Now, I'm not saying that you should go the other extreme. Well, I'm just going to be a real Christian. I'm going to keep fighting all the way into church. I'm not saying do that either. But when we enter into the presence of God, do we not at least owe him the courtesy of being authentic? And if you're bothered by something that's going on in your life, he already knows that. How about you tell him? Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I'm worshiping. I'm at your feet. But I've got to be honest with you, Lord. I don't understand. I don't get it. But in her authenticity, we see two ingredients. And they've got to be present if your worship is going to be real. The first is truth. They that worship Jesus, told the Samaritan woman at the well, must worship in spirit and in what? Truth. And was she being truthful when she said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She told him how she was feeling. There was no pretense. But by the way, she also expressed the truth of what she knew Jesus could do. I knew you could have healed him. You know what else needs to be there? Tenderness. If you're really going to worship, you have got to drop the wall, y'all. <laughs> well, if I really started worshiping in church, I might just cry. Then cry. I might laugh. Then laugh. I might shout. Then shout. I might say amen. Go for it. <laughs> Tenderness. You know another word we could use for tenderness? Raw. You ever had a spot that's tender? Ooh. We come into the presence of God. We're just naked before him, y'all. Just tender and raw. I've I've prayed sometimes, Lord, I'm about to preach something. I'm about to express something. I'm about to explain something, and I need you to break my heart because that's the only way it's going to get across. Break my heart tenderness what do we see in in mary do we see a tenderness in her worship look at verse 33 when jesus therefore saw her what if you can't weep to god you can't weep for anybody else you say well andy if i start crying if i start weeping i just i'm gonna tell you it just gets bad and i can't even form a word anymore 
good. Prayers that can't be uttered, Spurgeon said, are prayers that are often not denied. And God even has a verse that talks about that. We got, we got a, the Holy Spirit, our paraclete, that when we pray like that, with groanings which cannot be uttered. You ever just been so burdened over something in your time with God, you couldn't even form a sentence, and you couldn't see past the tears? I'm going to tell you, God dwells in that kind of situation. It, it, it impacts the heart of God, because what do we see? We see her weeping, sobbing, wailing aloud. Oh, there's no need in, in disguising your emotions to God. There's no point of it, but I'll tell you what it does do. It leads God to enter into our sufferings as well. That high priest, which, cannot be, which has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Because what do you see in verse 35, the shortest English verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He's weeping for Mary. He's weeping for Martha. He's weeping for those people that aren't going to believe. He's weeping for those people that he's about to die for. But he's not weeping for Lazarus. He knows what's coming. But he wept. There's few things more cathartic and more therapeutic than to have somebody weeping with you. I want you to know something. You go to God weeping in that authentic, tender worship, he'll weep with you. He'll weep with you. You see, real worship, Mary's kind of worship, and boy, we need to have this in our lives, don't we? It's attentive. It obeys immediately. It's abasing. It gets us low and humble. It's authentic. And I'll tell you what else it is. It's appropriate. It's appropriate. The only worship that is appropriate is worship that is reflective of the expectations of the Word of God. The only worship that is appropriate is that which is true to God's Word. I'm not trying to be mean. Years ago, when it started down in the Pensacola area, and it, you saw a little bit in Brownsville, Texas, and some other places, you had what was called the Laughing Revival. Do you all remember that, the Laughing Revival? And this was, this was Pentecostal in its origin. I, I need to hasten to say that I have known Pentecostals that while I disagree with their view on the gifts of the Spirit and the spiritual you know, sign gifts and things like that, I knew them to love God and to, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and, and I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to disparage an entire group of people. But respectfully, I believe the Bible teaches the sign gifts ended when we got the completed Word of God. Okay. Well, this particular group, I don't mind having a go at because it was pretty obvious that this wasn't of God. They would get to laughing in the service, and it was uncontrollable. They, they would describe it as uncontrollable. By the way, part of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance, self-control. Right. If, you're, if you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're still in control. I say amen because I choose to. Yeah. All but preacher, sometimes I get to Cain, help it. Well, help it. Yeah. Help it because one of the, the fruit of the Spirit... It's temperance, self-control. I've told you about the guy that ran laps, took off running laps in the service. 
running laps. It's a true story. And in the side there about, about where the Snyders are sitting, there was a door, a doorway. It was an open doorway. And he's taking off, and he's just, I mean, he's just getting it for the glory of God. And he miscalculated, and he ran into the doorway and busted his head wide open. Now, one of two things is true. Either maybe that was a little more emotionalism than it was spirit-filled, or God has a sense of humor. Watch this. Ran him right into the door. I think it was the former. Back to the Brownsville revival and the laughing revival. When this thing hit, people would get to laughing, and they'd fall into the floor, just uncontrollable laughter. And in their writhing and, and gyrations, ladies' dresses and skirts would go up over their head. So they learned real quick to have people standing by with what's called modesty cloths. Now, we can have different views on where the line of modesty is, but would you agree with me that skirts over the head crosses the line of into, into immodesty? I hope so. <laughs> can I tell you something? God never leads you to do something that goes against his will and that goes against his word. So how do I know that wasn't of God? Because God wouldn't lead you to do that. You know? There was no need for modesty clause if God's in it. You see, it's got to be based on the word of God. And here's a good rule of thumb. If your worship takes attention away from Jesus instead of putting it on him, it's probably not of God. Because even the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, you know what his job is? There he is! So I don't think that we outrank the Trinity, do you? What is our job? There he is! Just like we have on this, on this plaque here, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus. Worship cannot be right if it is not reflective of the expectations and teachings of the word of God. And worship that strays from what God's word teaches is not appropriate. Our feelings, our expressions, our... our, um, our uh, Oh, it's an easy word. Experiences make no difference. Well, I just know that what I feel is real. It may be real, but it may not be godly. What you feel may be the result of some bad, bad food. You might feel it for sure. That doesn't mean it's right. Worship that invites carnality or goes beyond scriptural boundaries is not worship. It is at best emotionally driven. It is at worst self-aggrandizing. Now, what does that have to do with Mary? Look at chapter 12, verse number 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. You ever dropped a bottle of cologne or perfume? <coughs> Good night. 
You ever, you ever been around some deer sank that felt like they did? Y'all look at me like I'm judging. I'm not judging. You know what happens. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to get the bath last night. I'm going to make sure. No, don't. Just, just trust your instincts. Just go with one squirt. You're fine. <laughs> well, she busted open this alabaster box and the whole place just. <clears throat> Everybody had an issue with it but Jesus. Now, what does this have to do with appropriate worship that's based on the word of God? Why did she do it? What has Jesus been teaching for some time? That he would die, be buried, and rise again. And you know what? Nobody got it. Even his disciples didn't get it. I mean, he flat out said it. And he still didn't get it. In fact, Peter said, not so, Lord. No such thing, by the way. You can't say no and Lord in the same sentence and it both be true. I'd rather, I'd die, Lord. This isn't going to happen. And what was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Nobody got it except one person. One person was listening. One person was hearing the word of God and responding appropriately. One person, and that was Mary. Because nobody else got what he was saying, but what does it say? Verse 4, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was this ointment, not, not this ointment, sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Verse 7, then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying. Has she kept this? Mary's the only one that understands in just a day and a half or so, I'll be dead. And her worship was appropriate because she had been listening to the word of God, understood it, and applied it. So what? If you're here today and you're saved, and if you're going to pack up, go ahead and do it. Pack up, zip up, button up, get your mints, spritz a perfume for the way out, whatever. Because if you don't get anything else, you need to get this. In Martha, we see faith. Would we agree that faith is indispensable to being the Christian we ought to be? Yeah. Worship is no less indispensable. If we're going to be the Christian that we ought to be, we must be people that worship in spirit and in truth. People that recognize the worthiness of God and respond appropriately. So my question to you is simple. Where's your worship right now? As saved people. Some of us have been saved a long time. Some of us have seen God do a lot. Where's your worship? Is it attentive? When God calls you to meet with him, do you drop everything? Because we should. 
Well, I I get so busy, Andy. That's not attentive worship. And it's wrong. It's wrong. Is it attentive? Is your worship like Mary's? Is it abasing? When, when, when you think about God, does it make you feel good about yourself? And I'm pretty good. I'm doing all right. Or does you, do you realize, you know what, still more work to do. But God sure has been good to me and gracious to me. And I'm thankful. Is it abasing? Because pride won't exist with it. Number three, is your worship authentic? Does it reflect the truth and tenderness? of a Christian that's walking with God. And then finally, your worship like Mary's, is it appropriate? Is it rooted in the word of God? I know people that have had all kinds of quote-unquote worship experiences and then gone back into the world and lived like the devil Monday through Saturday. Does it follow the word of God? Can I tell you something? When you follow the word of God, you can't help but worship. And when you're out of the Word of God, you know what the first thing is to go? Your worship. So as we look at our lives, as we look at the spiritual mirror that is God's Word, do we have the worship of Mary?